Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing, and climate change. I'm Sophia, your content and podcast editor, and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this week's pod. Our guest this week is Antonio Pantalone, a consultant and strategist at Advanced Simplicity, an engineering company focused on sustainability and the environment. Get ready for episode eight. <music> Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Shri and I'm excited to bring you another episode built around this concept of circular economy. We go into detail on chemical engineering and how it intersects with everything we do in the world, from university degrees to real life problems, solving uh, problems including oil spills, restoring land and waterways and PFAS contaminations. When I come to think of chemical engineering. It is just the way we understand the world around us. But is it more than that? Here to help us answer this loaded question, we've got Antonio, who has more than two decades of business experience. Antonio has consulted and advised businesses and governments globally. Antonio has also consulted on some of the most demanding environmental challenges of our time, such as the cleanup of the Niger Delta and legacy contamination issues such as PFAS, asbestos, and hexavalent chromium. He has also advised the National Oil Spill Detection and Response Agency and was previously nominated for an Innovation Award of the American Chemistry Council for the Development of Oil Spill Cleanup Technology. Hi, Antonio. Great to have you on the pod. How are you going? I'm well, thanks, Risty. How are you? Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being here. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, we've got so much to unpack, but I want to I want to start up with this um, quote I recently came across. Um, Innovate, then add simplicity. It seems like the first thing that pops up when we find you on your LinkedIn, Antonio, we see innovation all around us and it is not merely an end product but encompasses a whole process of transformation and improvement from one thing to the other. With this in mind, what do you mean when you refer to adding simplicity to innovation? I've always believed that for a solution or a design to be effective and for it to really have a good uptake by the end user, it has to be simple. All the complexities, that's that's in the background. The user shouldn't have to worry about that. They shouldn't have to think about it. Whatever they're, they're there for, it should just work. And the simpler it is, the more likely someone's going to use it. And the easiest example I'll give is probably the iPhone. Um, once you take away all the marketing hype, um, the iPhone itself, was innovative. It completely changed the marketplace. Uh, but it's it's user interface is intuitive. I mean, it doesn't come with the user manual because children work out how to use it. So the iPhone itself, innovation. The user interface being so intuitive, that's where you have innovation meeting simplicity. Awesome. Um, I, I really like this concept of simplicity. Um, but I I really want to get into how you began your journey. Um, you, you started off completing your degree in Bachelor of 
science in in industrial chemistry from UNSW. And not long after you started your um, PhD um, into chemical engineering, what led to this decision to lead down a path of research in chemical engineering? I guess the short answer is I wasn't ready for a real job. But in, in a more serious manner, um, I had always liked research. Um, I was good at it. I like to think I'm still good at it. Um, I had worked in industry, but I wasn't. I knew I wasn't yet ready for that career path. Um, so I decided that uh, by taking a industry-based research project at the university, it would give me the, the opportunity to straddle both lines and then hopefully that would give me the chance to really decide what it was I wanted to do with the, the future. Right. Um, and this just happened slowly um, because a lot of people, when they think of, you know, going down their career path, and we had this initial discussion when we had our, when we first met um, Antonio, when they think of navigating their career, they think they have to make all their decisions at once, but they have their whole life to live and they have all these experiences to experience to figure out what they want to do, right? Very much so. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just a matter of time and um, maybe, you know, you do have to study a bit more to figure out what you want to actually do. Or sometimes study less. We often think about um, the sciences um, of, you know, an area that mankind utilises to make sense of the world. How would you define chemical engineering in a couple of sentences? All right. Well, I'll actually start with industrial chemistry because that was my undergraduate. So I, I would describe industrial chemistry as the steps involved in research, development, uh, improving products. So taking something from conception um, to something being product ready. I'd then say that the chemical engineer then takes over and takes that product ready idea and designs the processes, um, the grand scale to turn it into an industrially produced product. Right, from this concept of um, chemical engineering, do you think that has sort of influenced this concept of sustainability that has drastically changed over time? Uh, look, I, I definitely think it, it does. I think particularly, I mean, I know when I went through my degree, you know, part of what we were taught was you know, environmental management. Um, it, was, it was one of our core subjects. When you think about engineers and you think about scientists and you may be thinking about, you know, them creating these mad products in a laboratory. But the fact is uh, the environment is something that's close to the heart of science because it's without, without the developments in you know, water treatment, for example, um, energy management, um, new products, new materials, all of which are, are advancing how we use natural resources, how we uh, use energy, how we treat water, how we manage waste. All of these factors are driven by scientists, by science, um, and they're essential. They're essential for our modern lifestyle. Right. It's everywhere around us. Um, and I think I remember in our initial discussion, you talked about this, where um, we we talk about this concept of sustainability. It's, it's changed over time and it's become more narrow, um, focused. And in that narrow focus, do you think it has become more efficient as a definition 
um, and, and as a concept to tackling this problem? Actually, actually, Shristi, I'd, I'd almost say that it, it's actually broadened the definition a little. Right. Well, well, if I look at the traditional sense when, when I started in the industry, and I admit I, I'm, I probably fall under the traditional definition of sustainability where it was very environmental focused. It was about how do we do things in, our, in society without causing any detriment to the environment and then how do we fix the detriment that may be there that's already been caused. But if we look at sustainability today, and, and there has been a, a lot of changes in the industry in how it was defined and how it was seen, and today it's, a, it's probably a lot more holistic. So, yes, sustainability does look at things uh, around the environment, but it also has moved to a lot of the social aspects. So um, it now incorporates a lot of the, the human rights issues, um, and, and sustainability obviously has links to, to ESG. So that E, the environment, and the S, the social part, they're becoming a lot closer um, linked and, in, and entwined. Um, and so... And, and that's been driven by a lot of things. Um, so uh, consumers being one of them. Um, so the aspect now around sustainability is no longer just about are we keeping the environment clean and safe? It now extends to when we make things, is the environment clean and safe? And are the people who are making them being treated fairly? So sustainability, I, I would argue, has actually expanded somewhat in, in how it's viewed today. Right. Um, and and this expansion, like you said, has brought in from the E in ESG from environment to the S in ESG of social impact. And it's interesting to see how we're shifting our perspective and sort of tying knots to, to this problem because it's such a bigger problem than we think it is. Um, and it's it's interesting to see where you know, this definition and this concept will go in the future. Absolutely. Going on to our next section, um, I want to talk a bit about uh, your company, Advanced Simplicity. It focuses on a range of services um, that provide consultation and solutions, environmental remediation, water management, energy management, waste management, and crisis management. Can you tell us a bit about your journey into founding Advanced Simplicity and what your vision is for the future? Sure. So when I started off, I, I saw a gap in the marketplace. And what I saw was that uh, you had a handful of very large companies who were providing solutions, and I, I, I throw that in inverted commas, um, to businesses. So if, um, if there was an issue, they'd come on in and they'd say, here you go, this is what's going to fix it. Buy it from us. This is our product. Thank you very much. And as a result, as a result, there were a lot of white elephants sitting in factories and sitting in um, warehouses. And I thought to myself, well, being independent, which means I'm, I'm not there to spruik anyone's product, and being flexible, uh, what I was able to do is, is work with clientele to, to provide them, and I like to use the word holistic because that was really the attitude that the business took, which was you know, stepping back and seeing what the problem is and then addressing it piece by piece. So you, know, you may take a, a, a piece of technology off this company and then bolt it onto a piece of technology off that company. The idea was it just had to work um, and it had to be 
uh, something that the the client, the end user, would use and would adopt. Um, and, and that's really where where it stemmed from. Um, and uh, again, when you look at it holistically, you know, fixing a problem sometimes creates others. And and some people would some people would argue that that that's what a good consultant does. But what really what I was out to do was to to address those up front. And to, to address those problems upfront, you do have to dissect it bit by bit. It's not just solving a problem. It's solving a couple of problems in a problem. Absolutely. It's about understanding what the flow on effects will be. In talking about this, um, uh, I wanted to get your understanding of, you know, your reflections and your um, greatest successes and failures that you've encountered in your journey in building advanced simplicity? Well, I can honestly say there's been many failures. Let's jokingly say that my success has been learning from my failures. I would say that probably a lot of my failures stemmed from, sadly, trusting the wrong people in business. The The successes I would, I like to think, come about because um, I was flexible enough to really take advantage of some niche markets as they came about. And it was something that some of the larger companies couldn't do. So um, just a quick example, um, there was a, a period where um, federal and state governments were beginning to release uh, the first, for the first time some, some decent environmental funding and it was being made available to businesses and to community groups. And what I saw was that a lot of them didn't know what to do. They didn't, they didn't know anything about this. They didn't know how to write a grant. They didn't know how to design a project. So what I did was I I went to them and I said, look, I'll do it. I'll do it on a no win, no fee basis. So I backed myself basically. Um, I, I took over the whole process, the project design, um, sourcing, the pricing, the grant writing, uh, and project management. So I de-risked the situation for them. And effectively what I did was I made it simple for them to say yes. Uh, again, I took over the complexities to give them a, a simple solution. And thankfully I knew what I was doing and I did pretty well out of it during that, that period of time. So that would probably be uh, not the greatest success, but definitely one that I, I'm, I'm pleased with. And, and it's rewarding, right? Look, it, it, you know, uh, reputation is important, and uh, particularly in Australia. And when you can build a good reputation, it, it you know, for whatever you do, it, it repays itself you know, many times over. Right. And it builds your sense of integrity as well, right? Like, Look, it does. It does. I mean, you know, yes, you can sit here and say not everything's about money. Money is important. Let's, you know, when you're in business, let's not pretend it's not. Um, um, but I... I I went there, you know, I, again, I, I, I saw the opportunity. I Yes, there was a profit to be made, but it was done in a different way to how you would handle, you know, a, a, a normal project or negotiation or business. I mean, you know, when you're sitting with community groups, you know that those conversations are going to run well over that allocated time and you account for that. You do it, but you do it willingly. Just... In, in that theme of giving back and um, and building your reputation, being, building your sense of integrity, I want to look at some of the foundations um, you've been 
involved with um, in a couple of um, minutes in the next section. But before we go there, um, there's this there's this question that um, we've been looking at um, in our team while we were doing research for this this interview. Um, it's it's about this innovative oil. Um, it's called Recoil, um, which is a innovative oil absorbent for cleanup of waterborne oil spills. It has been nominated for the American Chemistry Council um, CIP Polyurethane Innovation Award and got approvals from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. What do you think about this material and its usefulness? Considering I designed it, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And you received this... Um... I received a nomination. Unfortunately, I lost out to BASF, which is a rather large company. So I, I, I don't feel too bad about that. But yeah, no, uh, look, it, Recall has a purpose. Again, it's, it's all about end user simplicity. So there's a lot of complexity behind how it was formulated that effectively the easiest way to, to describe how it works is I could hand you three bags of material, a bucket, uh, a drill, and a paint stirrer. And in 10 minutes, I could teach you how to mix it properly. Uh, 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, it would be cured. Uh, then I can hand you a bread knife and you can chop it up into any size or shape you want. You could pick that material up with your hands. You could throw it on a waterborne oil spill, give it 15 minutes and it hits 90% of its absorbency. And then you can pick up a, a fishing net or one of those fishing scoops and scoop it all up. So in parts of the world, this is really important. Uh, I, 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 I describe it as low tech and that's what it was meant to be. Low tech, easy to make, can be made anywhere in the world, on site, um, quickly, easily uh, you don't need to have um, any special skills anyone can learn how to do it um, it can be ready in as i said 20 minutes um, it doesn't sink um, it's got a pretty good absorption rate and you can easily retrieve it that's that's what it was designed to do amazing and this would be so relevant in like for use everywhere but also it would be so useful in developing countries and um, third world countries where things like that aren't accessible and things like this will be really needed especially for the amount of spills and contamination. Moving on to our next section um, we've been talking about foundations giving back um, the wider community and sustainability and its bigger impact. Let's look at musthavegreenplanet.org. Most recently, Antonio became part of an environmental not-for-profit foundation that is an Australian initiative with a global goal. It's got um, a number of talented operatives and members across many disciplines and it is amazing uh, i think e with everyone tuning in go check this uh, link out um, things will be on the show notes so you can click on that but um i've already mentioned the name so have a look and look into it it's so interesting but for context antonio what is the primary purpose of this um, foundation what what is your role 
Okay, so the, the, the simple way to describe it is the, the goal of the foundation is to, to practically solve um, the world's environmental challenges. If you look at the website, I'm, I'm listed as a consultant. Um, uh, my role is probably a little deeper than that. Uh, and as the website evolves, uh, and it will evolve, um, there'll be a lot more information that, that people can look at. But effectively, my, uh, my role is to uh, be a project lead, to, to address these issues um, and work with, as you said, the other talented people um, one of the, the, the key differentiation with this particular foundation is the people that it's pulled together. Um, we, we're realistic about what the challenges are um, and we're realistically realistic about what's needed. Um, so uh, where you, where you, you know, look at some of those projects, you know, we accept there's some dangerous parts of the world. We need security experts. We need health experts. We need educators. Um, and, and we've pulled those together very effectively. So when you look at what's going on, the, the environmental cleanup part, that, that's, that falls on me. That's my role. Right. Awesome. Um, and just reflecting on that, um, it, it is pretty global and it encompasses a lot of different disciplines, literally all the way from chemical science, governmental affairs, corporate governance and reporting, public relations, community consultation, cultural understanding, along with on-ground personal security protection, ongoing research and development, construction, financial management, financial modelling and scenario planning, infrastructure development, healthcare and medical expertise um, and remote clinical knowledge. So it's it's the whole package basically. It's it's looking at sustainability um, as as a global thing, not just, hey, I want to solve your climate issues, but hey, let's build a society. Let's build a society that holistically manages different parts of your life as well um, in, in a sustainable way. Um, and, I, and I just find that so fascinating. Um, I remember when we had that initial chat, it was like, wow, let's chat more about this. Um, and, and there are many challenges that um, this organize, this foundation um, deals with. Um, so these include... And, and that list will grow over time, Tristy. Right. So these are just a couple then. These are what we're starting with and, and what we've started. Sorry, I should say these are what we have started with. Um, so, th- so I mean, there's there's more challenges out there in the world, um, and 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 we have them on the radar, but uh, you know, you can't spread your resources too thin, unfortunately. Exactly, exactly. And you guys are still just, you know, um, starting out. So, I think, yeah, it's it's so interesting um, because I mean, it's all the way from the Niger Delta, um, which is. Um, in need of assistance with leakages caused by dilapidated, corroded pipelines, uh, as well as bandits. PFAS contaminations, um, which are chemicals from synthetic clothing, firefighting foam, commercial and ha- household aerosols, and non-stick products for, and food packaging. I would never guess, like, non-stick products. PFAS, PFAS are called forever chemicals because they're classed as what's called a persistent organic pollutant. And globally, globally there, there's, there's a lot of concern. Um, and uh, globally, 
lots of people looking at this, but at the moment it's, it's a case of looking at how they're produced, how we control them, um, do, what do we ban, do we stop making or stop using, um, and that's uh, where a lot of the work's gone. We're looking at how do we clean up the contaminated sites, those that are seriously affected, um, and there are quite a few, including in Australia. Because it's everywhere, especially with um, the concept of fast fashion, right? Synthetic clothing is everywhere and it's it's like our industries that um, are reliant on fast fashion, it's, it's consumed us as a whole, as a society, I suppose, because we're so... Um, we're so attached to this concept of image and fashion. And, and these chemicals, um, the, 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 the PFAS chemicals, that's, it's, it's a family of chemicals. So within that, there's in excess of 4,000 different types of chemicals, uh, chemical structures. So um, working out what is a bigger problem than the other, I mean, that, that, you know, thankfully we've got researchers working on that. 100%. And by forever chemicals do you mean that it is you know um hard to remove or basically uh, at the moment at the well the the general consensus is they they don't break down and and so how would you go about removing or um look technology exists for us to do certain things to remediate sites to control the contamination to remove um contaminants or um I guess the nice word is to neutralize in certain cases. So um, it, it's it's about understanding what the specific scenario is and adopting the right solution. And of course, working with, with the groups affected, uh, that, that's very important to do. Right, so there's a range of solutions which would be specific to the problem um, you'd be solving, depending on the chemical, because PF, AS um, is is just a broad term of a broad group of chemicals, right? Um, so yeah, it, it's a it's a bigger issue. Um, and, and just moving on, um, we've we've got a couple other challenges that um, the foundation is focusing on. Um, some of them include restoring Ecuadorian and Puevorian Amazon lands and waterways, which are in need of remediation and rest- restoration. Um, we've got tire graveyards, which I don't think about. Um, but um, it says here that they have over 30 years, 60 million disused tires that have accumulated all around the world that are creating fires and polluting the atmosphere it's not something i've really thought about well well considering we actually have uh the issue here in australia as well um uh in in tasmania actually we have um a tire dump a a legal tire dump um that that is facing this issue itself where it's you know the the pile is starting to get too big and there's always a threat of fire and i can assure you putting out a, a tire fire is not an easy thing to do um, and any time when tires start to break down with heat or if they break down because they're set alight, um, it, it's, it's terrible, you know, noxious chemicals that are released into the atmosphere that, that people are going to breathe in. Um, so, again, you know, as I said, you know, Tasmania is, is 
a legal dump, but we know that there are illegal dumps all around the world. Right. And these tyre dumps, um, some of them are being lit up, but some of them just catch on fire because of the weather and just the environment. Yeah, look, I mean, think about it this way. I mean, Kuwait is probably the the most well-known example. They they have a series of of, um, these graveyards um, and you're talking rather extreme temperatures at time, you know, over 40 degrees. Over time, these, you know, tyres start to break down. You know, they, they, some of the components can smoulder. Um, you can have further issues. Uh, interestingly, one of the other big issues with tyre graveyards that most people wouldn't ever think of is that um, tyres, when it rains or for whatever reason you have water, you know, um, moisture from could be a cool morning you get some precipitation well now you have a pool of water and where you have a pool of water mosquitoes like to breed and when mosquitoes like to breed now you start having other health problems you have disease that can spread and it it can be a widespread problem so it's it's a bigger issue it's just linked to a couple of different things but on this topic of polluted borders um there's this other challenge uh, on the foundation site um, where it talks about restoring the Ganges, which is India's most polluted water, which brings waterborne illnesses um, and, and stuff that um, you've just talked about, Antonio, um, killing more than 1.5 million children a year. Wow. Well, if you if you th- if you look at the Ganges, I mean, it it, it starts. Um, starts in the north and works its way down and along the way it passes through a lot of cities unfortunately what happens well what has happened over the over the years is you have things like tanneries um, you have industrial factories that have set up along or close to the rivers uh, to the to the river itself Um, and for whatever reason you have a lot of waste that gets put into the river it's the disposal method. Uh, things have improved over time. There are some things that are treated, but yeah, a, a lot of things aren't. Um, in fact, even some hospitals have been known to to release their waste into the river. Um, so you have immense levels of um, uh, fecal contamination, and that obviously causes a lot of health issues. Um, because of its sacredness, you also have issues where the key city where uh, bodies are cremated and ashes are released into the, the water. Unfortunately, not everyone can afford to be cremated. Or if someone's sick, maybe they're not cremating them. Uh, they're just pushing their body into the water. So you're just adding more and more avenues for disease. And waterborne disease is always going to be a great, a massive problem. And unfortunately, it's it's the youngest who will suffer the most. And that's devastating. Um, it, it is very horrible. I was reading um, an article the other day. Um, uh, I, I'm Nepali for context, and um, Nepal has uh, a lot of waterborne diseases. But um, just reflecting on this concept of how vulnerable children are, even there um, with these waterborne diseases, because um, water isn't easily um accessible to everyone so the water that these children drink uh, isn't filtered down and because it's not filtered 
they're catching all these diseases and they're and they're very vulnerable to them and um, and unfortunately and it's really sad and and it's preventable i've always argued there's nothing that doesn't have a technological solution to and i honestly believe that nothing's impossible there are some things that are a little harder than others some things are very hard ultimately it's doable it's just about focus and being willing to to make the effort right exactly and and on this concept of designing solutions and we're talking about all these issues and i think what's important to remember is that providing solutions is one thing but providing solutions that are effective and that work in different places of the world will all need to be solutions that cater to their own specific needs their own environments and and these solutions um, have to be centered um, to to their own environment so you know developing countries aren't going to have the same solutions as developed countries Um, they have to be designed much more differently and in our initial chat um, we we talked a bit about this and a project you um, touched on is um, looking at remediating an entire uh, area of land and waterway in a developing country including building infrastructure that is sustainable and economically feasible for the residents um, of that area to live in and again that ties in with what this foundation is all about which is looking at sustainability as a whole not just hey let's solve little issues and and i think Trusty, at the time i think i may have used the term tech leap tech leap right and and can you expand a bit more on that yeah so i've i've um i've worked with developing countries quite a lot over the years and and i've my, my argument has always been um if we have a, a, a blank canvas to start from, we don't need to uh, cheap out, as I sometimes incorrectly say, but we shouldn't be introducing something that's 30 years old just because it's a cheap, easy, nasty way to do it, and that's great. They can work with that for now, and, and um, in 10 years' time, we'll come back and give them something else. I disagree completely. I think when you have that blank canvas, you have the opportunity to, to not think about old technology but to introduce what's the next best cutting edge uh, because you are dealing with communities that this they have to learn and and sorry when i say they have to learn they have to um, uh, be trained up in in what it is you're delivering to them um, you're going to introduce an education program anyway so why not do it for something that's going to make their lives even better right um and it, it's interesting like this concept of um, sustainability that we've just touched on and I think just looking at the projects that you've you're working on right now I think it's so interesting um can we find more information about this on the on this uh, on the foundation site yeah so look at the moment um, as I said uh, what's there uh, is is really a, a, a touch point um, but I can I can assure you that the the website is undergoing um, some some new developments and some new updates. Um, so just keep an eye out for them. Um, uh, I, without spooking it, you know, feel free to sign up um, to the website, and then that way, as new new information does come available, you can have a look um, and and you know, get involved with your opinion. Awesome. Get involved by 
uh, popping up and signing on the website um, and you can sign up. Yeah, it's just a, just an email sign up and, and as, as, as any new information becomes available or as we're about to update or as we're updating um, and, and keeping people informed of, of how the projects are going, you, know, you, can, you can just get an email notification. Sounds great. Um, and so on this note, um, uh, we've touched on this process, but how would you measure sustainability impact in this, um, in this project that you've worked on? Sure. Um, there's lots of ways um, we can look at measuring impact. Uh, and again, I like to keep things simple. Um, I always find that the most rational way to do something is to, like in any good project, take a baseline. So let's, let's look at what's there. Let's look at, um, you know, let's look at water samples. What is in the water? What are the levels of contamination? Let's look at soil samples. Let's do the same. Um, let's look at things like um, what's the, the child morbidity rate? What's, what are the sickness levels? What are, um, uh, what, is, what, what are the current education levels? What's the employment rate? We set a baseline. Then as, you know, what's the air quality like? Again, that's a, that's a very easy one for us to take. As things improve, and we can constantly monitor these things, um, as things improve, we should see an improvement in all of these things. So we should be able to say, okay, let's resample this soil sample from this particular location. Has it improved? How much has it improved? Great. But have things gotten worse 10 metres away? No. Okay, so we know we're on the right track. Um, so I'm a big believer in, in quantitative measurement um, where possible. So uh, that's just the scientist in me. We can, we can take a sample, we can test it, we can measure things. Six months later, we can come back and do the same. And then we can see, has there been an improvement? And if there has, then we're making the right impact. That's really interesting to get a perspective on. Um, and on this note of designing solutions that are possible, um, you know, there, there are so many solutions that can be possible. And um, however, though, um, there is a need to incorporate the economic viability in these solutions that we're designing. And we talked about this concept of, you know, business and how, yes, we can't, act like money doesn't matter because it does and it's going to be a factor in in, in anything we do. Um, and, and so an example of this is um, batteries in EVs that aren't exactly sustainable. Um, but however, it is what we have currently and until we get to a point where we can address the problem at face value, we have to work with what we've got. Can you expand on this give and take perspective you have yeah, sure. Look, I've I've always defined sustainability as balance, and where you have balance, you usually have to have compromise, and and I think the the car example is a good one that we can work off. Um, I I don't think that it's right that we demonize oil uh, in today's world. Um, without oil, we wouldn't have more than I think it's six thousand consumer products that you know, we encounter on a daily basis. And when you look at vehicles and you look at cars, 
and and again, you know, again, using the EV car as an example, you still need uh, products from oil to make that vehicle exist. We can't get away from that. That's just a reality. Uh, we can't expect that tomorrow we're going to turn off the tap and we're going to continue enjoying our our current lifestyle. It's it's not possible. Um, but on the flip side, we also have to look at, as you said, you know, what have we done? And if you look at the internal combustion engine, it's it's come a long way in a hundred years. They're smaller, they're more powerful, um, they they produce less pollution. Um, we now uh, can adopt hybrids, so they leave, use even less fuel and yet even less pollution. Um, and by adopting the hybrid, we're also then looking at uh, reducing that strain on um, sourcing components for batteries, for larger batteries, because we're adopting this hybrid. So these are all advancements that we've, we've made, and, and we have to accept those. And, and we, we should be looking at them positively. Um, you've got organizations like uh, Porsche and Lamborghini, and they're developing e-fuels. So they're, they're developing synthetic fuels that uh, are made by um, pulling carbon out of the air. And this is before, you know, before we even think about hydrogen or methanol, um, there, there was a company many years ago who actually took um, uh, single-use plastics and turned it into a diesel-like fuel, and it worked. So as you say, like, there's no silver bullet. We're not there yet. These are incremental changes, and I, I don't think we're going to get there just so quickly. Um, there's more time. But what's important is that we are willing to be open-minded and we're willing to have that compromise because we need to think and we need to think about, well, what is the best option for now and how do we make it better in the future? That's exactly, I think, the, the perspective we need to take on um, just given our current situation. And like you said, we're going to get there, but they're going to be incremental changes that will happen over time and, um, and we'll see as technology develops and with this rate, you know. Absolutely. And, 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 and Shristi, I'll, I'll steal a line from Rocky Balboa. You know, he always says in, in his movie, keep moving forward. And, and that's what we have to do, keep moving forward. Amazing. Keep moving forward. Um, on this note of solving problems, um, I want to head to this um, new, uh, well, not so new, but um, this this concept of flooding and um, with La Nina um, that has been causing a drastic amount of flooding all over Australia. Um, one of our um, co-founders, Viz, posted um, this on his LinkedIn um, and he, he talks how a report from the Climate Council suggests that one in 25 of all homes and commercial buildings in Australia will be uninsurable by 2030 and 80% of such risk is due to river flooding and it was also estimated that Australian general insurers paid out $3.89 billion for bushfires, floods and storm-related claims in um, the financial year of 2019 to 20. Um, and and you, when we talked about this in our initial discussion about tackling the problem of flooding with the use of permeable, 
pavement. Um, you, you talked about how we we could be addressing some of the solutions that we uh, some uh, some of these problems that we're facing, but it's it's more about how we need to incorporate this into our current um, systems that we've built. Can you expand on this? Sure. Um, I, I would say that the adoption of permeable pavements is part of a bigger solution, but we'll focus on the permeable pavements part. Um, if we look at how we've built society, we've effectively, we're still building it the way the Romans did. And that's not a criticism to the Romans considering their buildings are still up. Um, but And what they did was absolutely spectacular, but it was two and a half thousand years ago. Um, you know, things have moved on, technology has improved but we still build these impermeable surfaces that water runs off on, is collected into um, a stormwater drainage system, and then is effectively directed out to sea. We, we see billions of litres of water every year just go out to sea. Um, along the way, they pick up waste, rubbish, overland pollution, the whole lot. When I talk about permeable pavements, I talk about softening the surfaces. And when I say that... Uh, I'm talking about um, solid, hard uh, materials that allow water to flow through them. So think about your driveway, think about the pathway, think about roads. They're all hard surfaces. Permeable pavements are still hard surfaces. They still provide uh, the, the structural integrity, the engineering integrity, the safety. But instead of allowing water to flow off them and into a drainage system, they allow water to flow through them and recharge uh, the natural system as it was intended to. So you still get all the benefits, but you also improve safety. You uh, reduce overland contamination. Um, you reduce waste going out to into our drainage system. You actually um, are able to offset some of the future stormwater costs um, in terms of um, new drainage and infrastructure. Um, you also remove a lot of potential damage from flooding, but also from things like tree roots, because now water is flowing down, it's not sitting on a surface, and tree roots like to go where water sits or where water is. Um, but as you said, this is not something that, you know, we just you know, snap our fingers and it's done overnight, but it is something that we can roll out and it is something we can adopt on a wider scale. And I'll use the MBN as a bad example. Um, you know, we didn't just flick the switch and the MBN was on. It was a rollout process, but it was still a process and it went around the country. And over time, we can do the same with, with looking at, you know, softening surfaces, including permeable pavements into um, our walkways, into uh, our, our driveways. Um, and every little bit helps. It's a start. Right. Awesome. Um, I, I really want to see this concept implemented, and I wonder where we head with, uh, with where we're at with solving the flooding crisis that we're facing. But um, only time will tell, I suppose. Moving on to our speed round questions. They're just. A couple of questions, um, just give it your best shot. You don't have to have um, many long answers, but let's do it. Alrighty, first question. What advice would you give to your younger self? 
take better calculated risks and trust your gut. Right. Trust your gut. I've heard this from a lot of our guests, actually. Your gut is a bigger brain than the one in your head, trust me. It knows more. Right. That's interesting. What are your go-to resources you think chemical engineering graduates or professionals to should know about? Okay, so if, if people talk to me about chemical engineering or engineering, I would always say start off easy. Look at something like How Stuff Works or um, inter- Interesting Engineering. Um, some excellent articles, great videos, really piques the interest. Um, and then from there, if you're actually because then engineering and chemical engineering is so broad, once you may find a, an area you're interested in, look at the research that's going on. Maybe follow a research group. Um, and then if you're really keen, start looking at research papers and or even reading journal articles. So that, that's, that's where I would steer people personally. So everyone tuning in, go check those resources out if you're a chemical engineering graduate or professional um, or if you're just curious about learning about um, the field. So finally, the last question, where can listeners go to, to learn about you and your organisations? That's a great question. So um, the, the website is uh, advancesimply.com, so it's A-D-V-A-N-C-E-S-I-M-P-L-Y.com. Um, and for the foundation, um, as you mentioned, it's musthavegreenplanet.org. And I can tell you both websites are always being updated. So keep an eye out. Thank you so much um, for your time, Antonio. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem, Tristy. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. No worries. Um, I, I've learned so much on this pod and I can't wait for, for everyone else to, to listen in and um, let us know what everyone thinks about this episode. I think there's so much to unpack. This concept of chemical engineering we have not covered as of yet on our previous seasons. Um, we've covered it somewhat um, but we haven't really gone into depth um, and talked to an expert as yourself so thank you so much for sharing your advice um, and your experience in your journey Antonio and all the best for your future I look forward to uh, following your journey and your organizations thank you Tristy and and I, I look forward to to keep listening into this podcast what'd you think Antonio has such an amazing background in the space of chemical engineering, and we are so lucky to have had him on the pod to discuss some of the most pressing issues in sustainability to date, as well as the solutions hopefully able to be implemented in the near future. If you're new to Greenfluence, thanks for joining us, and hopefully you'll feel inspired to listen to our previous and future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening in again. We really appreciate it and are so excited to grow our Greenfluence community. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, Check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. All the links to our socials are in the show notes. We'd appreciate if you leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And we'll see you next time.